Hello again, I'm Miriam Felton. Welcome to Yarn Stories Podcast. Welcome to new listeners and returning listeners alike. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend, posting about it on social media, or leaving a rating or review wherever you get this podcast. You can also join the Friends of Yarn Stories podcast Ravelry group, if that's more your thing. And thank you so much for listening. Neil Pace, today's guest, and his wife Sue moved to rural Scotland to find a slower life and start a yarn business. They now have a small flock of rare breed sheep, and Neil dyes yarn in the garden. Sue does the marketing, the majority of the samples, and the admin work. The thing that I absolutely love about Woo Sheep's yarns, Woo Sheep's is their company, are the tongue-in-cheek base names. As a result, there is a bit of innuendo and some cursing in this episode, so if you're sensitive to those things, this might not be a great episode for you. So let's get to it then. I'm here with Neil Pace of Woo Sheeps. Neil and his wife Sue are joint owners. Neil works the dye pots and Sue runs the rest. Hey, Neil. Hello. So how did you come to this weird yarn life? Oh, there were a few um, major life incidents, Mm -hmm. um, which ended up with me getting married to Sue. Nice. And... I found myself in a house which was full of yarn. Uh, oh, she was a knitter or a crocheter or some yarny? Um, she does everything. Awesome. Um, Girl after my own knits, heart. crochets. Yeah. Weaves, spins, you know, the mm-hmm. whole kit and caboodle. Yep. So we decided that we were going to move away from it all, um, get away from our jobs and so on. And we ended up in Scotland in the middle of nowhere. Which and sounds amazing. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm not going back. <laughs> yeah. Well, our, uh, my husband and I, our life goal is to grow everything that we eat. So, you know, to yep. have some land and raise all the things. Well, that's it. We, we ended up um, with a small house and some acres of land. We've got sheep. Um, North Ronald says, which are a primitive breed, we don't really do much with the fleece from them, but, you know, they're, they're pets. Like, is it dual-coated like Shetlands, or...? It is. It really is quite nice, actually. It's um, They're very similar to Shetlands. Okay. They're adorable. You know, it's quite a long staple and so on, you know, so... But really, um, you can't really yeah. sell the fleece yeah, yeah. and make a profit um you know the british wool industry is um not very friendly to small producers mm. so they're really more of a hobby flock that's it that's okay. it um you know uh, we've got a ram who's called dave you know and uh, <laughs> and our oldest sheep is called fifi and you know that sort of thing they're pets that's awesome but you still get lambing season which is the best yeah yeah um this year we've got snowy and um, dots. And that's it. I have to try and remember that. <laughs> only had only had two this year. We've not got a huge amount. Yeah. So uh, yeah, life in Scotland. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere. 
Mm-hmm. And we needed a business, and we thought an internet-based one yeah, would be idea. Sense. Yeah, yeah. And we wanted to do something in the yarn world, so we went for the dyeing. That's great. You know, we live like hermits, um, you know, for most of the year, and then venture out to do the big shows and so yeah. on. So it's uh, it's perfect. That's awesome. So, do you? Uh, how did you learn to dye? Did you like teach yourself? Did you read up on it? Did you just like? fake it oh, until you found uh, some good stuff <laughs> <laughs> all three actually awesome. so, yeah yeah got the books you know had yeah. a play um we originally planned on doing natural dyes and so on and we planted a lot of matter nice. in some japanese indigo and it all died the first year you know uh, yeah we're in Scotland, probably not really the right climate for it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we then got the acid dyes, and um, it's great. You know, it's a bit of science and a bit of art. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, well, it's alchemy and art, isn't it? Yeah. You, know, you mix up potions, and uh, you end up a pretty yarn. Well, and there's like magical things that happen with dyeing. Like, um, you know, one color will exhaust faster than another color, and so the you know the yarn comes out looking completely different than you thought it was going to, or yep. you know, stuff like that. It's it's magical. Yeah, we've got a. Uh, colorway which is moss and it was a complete accident two different brands of dye and they've come together absolutely brilliantly you know oh that's great that's it is it all good fun that's awesome so um your did you say your sheep are north ronaldsay that's right yeah yeah okay. they're a rare breed yeah so they're where are they from or originally they're a primitive right. breed yeah, there is an island um, which is uh, called North Ronaldsay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, it, it's quite interesting, actually, because they, uh, the islanders built a wall around the island to keep the sheep on the shoreline. <laughs> so they live on seaweed on the island. That's and, awesome. um, you know, once a year they let them in to. Um, stone-built shelters, you know, fields and so on, to uh, let them breed in lamb and so on. And they're they're what they call a feral sheep, you know, so small, they can climb. Yeah, and they're probably like lamb by themselves without much trouble. Exactly, yeah. They've not been overbred to be too bulky, you know, so they do lamb fine, yeah. That's awesome. Um, how did you how did you get them? Like, where do you where do you find them? Did you like go to the beach and pick one up and be like mine? <laughs> there is uh, a big wool show which is called Wool Fest, which is in Cockermouth in um, in England, okay. and I was going down south and I was planning to drop in, and Sue said to me, "Get some sheep." So <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. I dropped. You're like okay. The- yeah, okay. So I walked into the wall show, looked around, and um, there's a Rare Breed Society stall there. Yeah. And I started chatting to the, the woman there, and, um, you know, I thought, oh, these are absolutely perfect. They're small, they're easy to handle, mm-hmm. they're, they're more hardy than, yeah. you know, if a blue-faced Leicester, we were told, if you get those, you need to buy... If you get two sheep, you need to buy a shovel because one of them will be dead inside a week. You know? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, it's what sheep do best. Is die. Yeah, die of mysterious things. That's it. Uh-huh. So we um, uh, got a trailer 
um, went down into England and picked up three girls and you know, we've gone on since there. Yeah, so you got you got used first and then got a ram later. That's right. Yeah, we thought if we, them. if we could keep the the ewes alive for a year. Right, then that, you can maybe handle the lambs that's it. <laughs> that would come that's after it. that. <laughs> so yes. where are you originally from? Oh, I'm actually South England, South West. Okay. I'm originally from Bristol. Okay, got it. Uh, so... I love the names of your yarns. They're named after men, but with some very tongue-in-cheek humor thrown in. Mm -hmm. So can you run me through the names on your bases? Well, we originally decided not to do girly names or anything. Yeah, it's overdone. Yeah. So we went with Tom, Dick, and Harry. Mm -hmm. Um, Harry's fallen by the way. Tom is still going, but of course, Dick is the most popular. Mm -hmm. As it (laughs) would be, yeah. Yes. Um, Now... With Dick, Dick is the blue face Lester yarn, mm-hmm. and we we were looking around to be a little bit different from everybody else. Yeah. So um, we came up with a hundred and fifty gram skein, which is six hundred meters of oh great sock or fingering weight. Yeah, that's a generous skein. It is. So we decided he would be called Big Dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love um, it so hard. Or- <laughs> For balance, you know, because we, we like to cater for everybody's taste, we also do um, a gradient set in 20, 20 gram skeins. Mm-hmm. Um, you get five skeins, you know, uh, going through either different colors or, you know, a nice tonal ombre mm-hmm. effect. And um, those are tiny dicks. Yep. <clears throat> Beautiful. Yeah. Great name for a mini skein set. As if I needed a really another reason to want a mini skein set, that would do it. Uh, I find that knitters have generally like a dark end and like innuendoed sense of humor. Like I've seen all those, you know, uh, bags like tote bags that say, you know, ball sack and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. I think it's a good it's a good marketing tool. Well, you know, you- if you can make somebody giggle. You'll, you'll find some very prim ladies are giggling, you know, and getting their picture <laughs> taken next to the sign which says Big Dick, you know. <laughs> That's we get perfect. We get a few coming up, you know, saying, oh, can I have a big pink dick, please? You know, and things like this. <laughs> but we also do Angus, which is uh, a good mm-hmm. solid sock yarn. Um, nice. Bertie's a bit posh because he's got some silk in him. Well, and Bertie does sound, you know, yeah. very posh. That's it. And it's definitely more posh of the names right so we also have bruce which is a double knit or a worsted weight and he's bruce because he's merino and he's so he's australian and he's a little bit thick and soft (laughs) you know so it's um we we literally get people coming up and saying oh you know my husband or my brother is called bruce or tom or whatever I've got to get this. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, well, we really want you know, knitting and making things is supposed to be fun. Yeah. You know, it, it's not supposed to be a serious business. You know, you're supposed yeah. to enjoy yourself doing it. So we decided to be a bit silly. Yeah. I think it's re- I think it's a great idea. Anything that brings joy, more yeah. joy to our knitting, you know, because sometimes it can be stressful if we're doing something challenging or, you know, or something's not working out and anything that brings levity to it just reminds us you know exactly what it should be yeah and my wife sue is uh, one of our samples 
is the fox pools pattern, mm-hmm. which is yeah. really complicated. And, you know, at any time we get this out, you know, we race it on the amount of swearing that it took to make, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. So whether you know you're know, ten fucks a row sort of thing, it's um... <laughs> oh, that is a wonderful gauge. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so let's talk about your Blueface Lester, which is Dick, right? That's, so your Blueface yeah. Lester base. Uh-huh. Blueface Lester is one of my very favorite wools. Um, yeah. It's really silky. It's got a longer staple length, so it's easy to spin and it's sturdier than merino. So, what drew you to Blueface Lester? Right, for we this were, yarn. We were looking for um, a workman-like yarn. Yeah, um, can do anything with it. It's yeah. um, ours is Superwash, so it's oh, okay. um, Superwash BFL. Sweet. Yeah. So you can abuse it a bit. You know, mm-hmm. you can make socks out of it. Um, you can make a, a sweater, a cardigan. Mm-hmm. Because it's fingering weight, you can use it for shawls. You can use it for absolutely everything. I love yeah. fingering weight. I think it's the most versatile. But I also am not afraid of lots yeah. of stitches. We, we, when we started out, we did mostly what we call fing- well, what we call sock yarn, which is all fingering weight, you know. Because um, yeah. oh, we... I like to rewind my yarn after I dye. Yeah, so that you get a, a better idea of what the what's going to look like in the knitting. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it look, the skeins just look nicer, and life is too short to rewind lace. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> when I was designing lace, it's that's the the only times that I've ever been like, oh, I really really need an electric ball winder. <laughs> Yeah, we no. They like to rewind the skeins after they're dyed because I, I just think they look nicer. Well, and sock yarn's a good place to start yeah. because you can play around with a lot of color. People yeah. are are more accepting of of you know crazy <laughs> amounts of color in a sock yarn skein than they are for a sweater quantity. That's right. And people buy a single skein, so they would you know buy something. It's not as big of a commitment. Yeah, I, for the customer, I'm mostly. Um, I go for semi-solids to solids. I don't tend to do a lot of um, really, you know, um, clown barf. Yeah. So you're dyeing yarn in a greenhouse shed at the end of your garden, or as Americans call it, our backyard. (laughs) Um, So how much has your production ramped up since you've moved out of your kitchen? Wow. We were always looking at ways to improve production just to make um mm-hmm. you know it more streamlined uh, well and to make it you know more uh, uh less less intrusive in your that's life that's it that's it because uh, your kitchen <laughs> oh we, we were yeah. l- <laughs> we were lucky we had a, a range cooker with eight gas burners on the top oh wow you know and i could get the pots arranged on there and i could do five 20 litre pots in one go mm-hmm. you know but um then you had to try and cook dinner and hoik all the pots <laughs> yeah. out of the way <laughs> you know just to be able to you know get a pan on there so yeah at the bottom of the garden there was um a greenhouse and the previous owners had attached what used to be somebody's conservatory mm-hmm. and uh the roof was leaking and falling apart, so we, we stripped yeah. it down and built it up. 
you know, we've rooted water into there and got power put in. And you know, I've moved there now, which is um, is great because it actually feels a bit like going to work, which, you know, if you work at home, can be difficult. Oh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I have a studio space that's like half a block from yeah. my apartment. So, yeah, it's it's made a huge difference because I did this for, I don't know, fuck, like 12 years working out of my house <laughs> before, you know, before I really... Um, you know, I've got this studio space now. So it's, I've gone through all the cycles of like being territorial about my apartment because that's where I've been all day working, you know, and I like snarl at my husband when he sits on the couch because that's my desk, you yeah. know, like, you know, but it's, it's amazing to have a separate space. It is, you know, you, uh, where we are is um, I open the front door and I can actually see a neighbor. You know, in the distance, yeah. um, there's nobody really nearby. There are another four mm-hmm. properties in the lane, but you you can actually see them from the house, yeah. which is great. You know, yeah. <laughs> as much noise as you like. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's great. So trek across the garden, get everything set up. Um, you know, usually I set up an audio book or something and um, yeah. listen to that while I uh, get everything going. But the yarn does come back into the house for its, you know, processing and labeling and yeah. so on. Did it allow you to to do much more production than you could in your kitchen? Yeah. Um, let me see. I, the way I've got it running at the moment is that I um, I don't put as much in a pot as I started out doing because I found that the okay. the yarn. It was sitting on top of itself. Some of it was stuck at the yeah, bottom you of get the more consistent. pot. And I was getting nicer colours. So, yeah. yeah, I am doing more, but not a great deal. Um, I think okay. it's... So it allowed you to spread out yeah, the yarn itself it. and get it more consistent. It. Okay. You know, and, uh, the, the cats are banned from the dye studio, so I'm not falling over a cat <laughs> with a pot of boiling water, you know. So. That is also very oh. good. <laughs> um i'm i'm a canner Uh like preserving um and especially jam and i know that like it's a controversial thing of whether or not you water hot water bath process your jam anyway Uh i do because (laughs) i give it to people you know i don't want anybody to get sick so (laughs) um but so i i know that struggle of having like all the shit on the stove (laughs) and then you have to maneuver everything around for dinner (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's the other thing if you're stirring a bit vigorously you, you re- some of these acid dyes i'm not sure you really want them landing in the bolognese do you, you know? no no blue spaghetti in. <laughs> that's awesome uh so i've conversed with a lot of yarn makers this year mm-hmm. um some that have been producing for 25 years some that are on the newer end of that um what are you what are your big hurdles that you see you'll be facing in the future oh it's trying to get into um shows there's been a big explosion here in the amount of people who are putting on shows and so on um yeah. which means they're not the big event they used to be you know there used to be two or three yeah. really big shows and people would save up and you know make it a day out and go and stay yeah. now there's shows all the way through the calendar 
you know, and you've got to pick and choose which ones to go yeah. to. Uh, well, and try to figure out which ones are going to be worth your while. That's right. So we we sort of uh, established not doing a show on the first year and letting other people see how it goes. Yeah. You know, and um, the other thing yeah. is to try and keep it. We're trying to keep the business small. We don't want it yeah. to take over Manageable. our lives in you know be a twenty four seven. 365 business you know we yeah we moved to the middle of nowhere to get some peace and quiet and you know away from the yeah. hurly burly and so on so yeah, yeah. It, it's shows which are the the biggest thing you know the the yeah. etsy shop is going fine i sell stuff all over the world you know mm-hmm. i've sold to israel in china a lot of it goes to the states you know mm-hmm so you're just doing uh, direct to re- direct retail and no wholesale. Yeah, yeah, no wholesale. Um, I keep getting asked to do wholesale, but it's um, it's one of those situations where the people running the shops want to make more money out of the yarn than you're making. Yeah, then you can. You know, so it's uh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to keep a limit on it. Uh, That's fair. Control and because. Yeah, you know, it doesn't sound like you started this business as a as a way to, you know, to get rich. You just yeah. wanted something that would support your life in the country. That's it. In something, you know, to get you out of bed in the morning. You know, it's it's yeah. very easy, you know, just to think, oh, well, I'm not going to bother, you know, today. What shall I do? You know, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, whereas if I've got yeah. some orders to fill, you've got to get up and get on with it, you know. So. Yeah. I'm a I'm I'm a list maker, so yeah. I, every day I have like you know a schedule. I have a list of all the things that need to get done that day. You know, things for the that need to get done sometime during that week. You know, the monthly list, like all the yeah, lists. yeah. We we've got a list at the moment to try and catch up with uh, the garden. You know, cause we've we've got about mm. four acres all together, and oh, so we've got the sheep in part of it, and the rest of it. Does take a bit of looking after. What else are you are you growing on the acreage? Well, after our first disaster with the um, indigo and matter, yeah, indigo and matter. <laughs> it's uh, we we've lost control of a part of the garden, and it's to actually yeah. regain control of it. We've got a lot of brambles at the moment, so bramble jam yeah. at the end of the the year. Oh, <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> Like my my ideal is to live somewhere where you know stuff like that grows naturally. Yeah. Because right now I live in Utah, which is a like high elevation desert, <laughs> and um and it's like nothing nothing grows unless you water it, yeah. and you know except like sagebrush, which like no food crops <laughs> grow unless you water them, you know. So I'm just like I wanna I wanna live in Oregon or something where you know there's little creeks and blackberries grow along the side yeah. and well, you know I want to live somewhere I can forage. Yeah, it's, it's a bit embarrassing actually because the the per, people who had the house previously, um, the wife worked at a local botanical garden, mm-hmm. and if you go and have a look around the garden, oh. you will see lots of stuff. That we've got and she's obviously come home with cuttings in yeah. <laughs> various plants and uh, we've got a lot of New Zealand stuff because we, we have similar kind cool. you know yeah. uh, well, well that was the other thing as well we've um next to the dye studio is a, a really big raspberry bed 
So through the summer, you know, when they're ripe, you you can actually Mm. just open the door and lean over and pick raspberries, which is... (laughs) That sounds heavenly. There you go. (laughs) I, I had some raspberry canes for a very short period of time before a neighbor was an asshole and ripped them out. Ah. Um, And, uh, and... I used to go out in the morning because I had I had a bunch of like little tomato plants uh-huh. too, like small tomatoes, and I'd basically just like grab handfuls of raspberries and tomatoes, and that was my breakfast oh. every morning well, during the summer. It was wonderful. <laughs> in the greenhouse, we've um, we've got a grapevine. Again, this is from the original people. Where, yeah. Um, and we've never managed to get anything off of the grapevine because you uh, gotta you gotta be on top of them. You gotta prune them. They yeah. need like care. The the blackbirds get in, and they oh. <laughs> they eat everything. You've got to get the raspberries outside quick because they will just devour them. Yeah, you know, it's like a plague of locusts. Have you thought about just putting bird netting over it? Yeah, but it's quite a big area, you know. It's, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of netting. <clears throat> That's it. Or you could just you know be like birds. This is my bush. <laughs> this is my like five foot square. You can have the rest, but this one's mine. Uh, it's good. Oh, you know, stand outside with a shotgun or something. It's uh, <laughs> frighten the neighbors. Yeah, it's always a good sign. Be a hermit and frighten the neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm the mad Englishman who lives up the lane, so it's uh, yeah. 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 You're already building a rep. Uh, apparently so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, what has it been like for you being a man in the predominantly woman-owned industry? Oh, it's been great. I mean, you know the theory that if you've got a penis, you know, you're you're obviously a genius in the yarn industry. <laughs> it's very <clears throat> strange that this happens. You'd think that, like, you know, yeah. with as woman-centric as the as the industry generally is, that there would be like more feminism, a little more distrust of men in general, but there's not. No, it it, it is <laughs> It is bizarre, and it is a noticeable fact, you know. Is um, yeah. I struggle with um, actually knitting myself because um, mm-hmm. I, I was quite ill, and it's one of the reasons why we decided to give up jobs and come back. And um, my left side doesn't work as well as it should do, so I find trouble holding the needles in being able to knit. I do some weaving, and... Um, if you show it to anybody, it's like, oh, wow, this is great. And I'm thinking, well, no, actually, it, it, it's not that good, <laughs> you know. But because I'm a man and a man's done it, you know, it's uh, yeah. people seem to think it's brilliant. So, yeah, you know, you, you're at a show and you're, you know, trying to talk your way through stuff. And uh, I think most people assume that Sue's done most of it. You know, when they find out I've actually done the dying, it, it it certainly does um, add kudos, you know. <laughs> it's, it yeah. really is weird. It is weird. And the other thing as well is not being a gay man in the industry. Yeah. You know, because all, all the really good people are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> that's It makes it even more rare, you know. It's, yeah. So uh, You're the unicorn. That's it. I'm uh, so... <laughs> knitted me up um, a Fair Isle sample out of Dick. Mm-hmm. It was a couple of gradient packs, and it's really quite spectacular. And um, wore it to a show in Edinburgh. And yeah. the amount of people who actually grabbed me 
And, you know, we're lifting <laughs> the jumper up to see how she'd done the insides, you know. And, you know <laughs> it's the knitter's handshake, like pretty, fondling your, your sweater. That's it, you know. In fact, I got grabbed by Stephen West as well. That's he, awesome. he gave me a ribbon for Steven. wearing awesome knitwear, you know. <laughs> yeah, Stephen's great. <clears throat> yeah, he, he's an absolute star, actually. He was, uh, he's huge as well. He's so tall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's very, very tall. Um, he has a, a history in, like, I think he went to school for choreography yeah. and dance. And, like, dude is statuesque, man. Yeah. I mean, he was like, he carries very... himself so well. Yeah. Oh, he must have been wearing about you know, six layers of wall and it was really, yeah. really hot, you know, and we we said to him, you know, aren't you really hot in this? He goes, oh, you've got to suffer for your art, darling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love Stephen. <laughs> yeah, he is an absolute gem. He is. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, there's a question that I ask everyone mm -hmm. in the first season about uh, what is your everyday superpower? Oh, I, I can shoot laser beams at my eyes. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, didn't you know? Uh, no, actually, um, I think what I have got is um, I've got an eye for a picture. Mm -hmm. you know, I, one of the other possible career choices would have been photography. Yeah. Uh, so, like framing and composition in the picture. Yeah, you know, I I live in a great part of the world for taking photographs, and yeah. you know, I I get into trouble because you know I'm wandering along, we're taking the dog out, and I'll stop and I'll be looking in a hedgerow or you know over the top or something because I've picked something out. Yeah. You know, and I I think I can, you know, I can take a pretty good photograph you know i'm british we're not yeah. supposed to blow our own trumpets <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah but you're living yeah. in scotland so yeah. oh yeah yeah get away with it well, yeah let it influence uh cool so like photographic composition like yeah yeah that sort of all thing. the um the logos and pictures and stuff i've i've done myself yeah. you know i i fancied being an artist or you know something along that line i you know, but I just fancy myself, actually, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I find that there's a really fine line between art and craft. You know, like, what we're doing with yarn, I think, elevates the craft into art. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, if you were yeah. just, you know, if you were knitting garter stitch scarves and, you know, out of a single color yarn and stuff like that, that's a, I'd say that's craft. Yeah. But I think that the way that, you know, the knitting industry and, you know, yarn in general is going, it's, it's elevating it to art. Yeah. I mean, and the fantastic thing is, is there's all these people at home who are creating art, you know, perfectly yeah. normal people who, <laughs> who've been, you have to excuse me, the dog has decided it's That's cool. tea time and wants to get on my lap hey. get off go on <laughs> go on outside go on good boy yeah it's uh <laughs> you've got all these people who've been work at work all day they come home you know and they they get the knitting out and they sit down and they're not you know they're not doing a crossword they're not watching well, they probably are watching the television, but they're actually making something. But they're being something. productive while they're doing it. That's, yeah. You know, and they come away with something that they're proud of. 
And I think yeah. that's absolutely brilliant. You know, it's. Uh, yeah. I think there was a, a survey done in London a couple of years back in the average age of a knitter in London is something ridiculous, like about 25 or something like that. Oh, that's great. You know, I mean, it, it is brilliant. There's so many young people and the internet has been so good for it as well. You yeah. Know, here you go. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Neil. It's been a pleasure. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Oh, talk a bit of nonsense, you know, why not? <laughs> <laughs> has generously offered to give away a skein of Big Dick for us, so you can find more info and enter that drawing in the show notes at yarnstoriespodcast.com. As we mentioned in the interview with Neil, Big Dick is an extra-large skein of fingering weight yarn in blue-faced Lester wool. Now we'll talk to Deb Robson about the history and the properties of this sheep breed that's colloquially known as BFL. Hey, Deb. Hi, Miriam. Can we talk about Blueface Lester today? Sure. So Lester, we had, we've spoken about Lester Longwool in the past. Is it the same general area with Lester involved? Um, it's the same general line of development. Ah. So there are three Lester breeds. Okay. There's the Lester Longwool. Yep. There's the Border Lester. Yep. And there's the Blueface Lester. Okay. So we talked about how Robert Bakewell worked with the Lester Longwool mm-hmm. in Leicestershire to develop a highly meat-producing sheep yeah. at a time when the population was growing hugely and yeah. becoming very urban. So they needed meat. Yeah. So some of the people who studied with Bakewell took some of his sheep north, into, farther north into England, to okay. the basically the Scottish close to the Scottish border. And hence Border Lester. Hence Border Lester. You got, got it. it. So what were they breeding for? They were breeding for the same kind of thing, but they needed a sturdier sheep. Okay, because it's a little a little rougher climate. It's there. a lot rougher climate there. Yeah. Yes. So from within the Border Lester population, there was a subset of sheep that had colored faces and had seemed to have finer wool. Mm-hmm. For a long time, they were actually considered the poor man's border lester. Mm. Was it because they weren't they weren't great for meat? Or they were just the pop-up genetically in the flock that you didn't really know what to do with? Right. Kind of that. Um, they also, there's this weird thing about blue-faced lesters, which is that they have bare tummies. Yeah. And they have finer wool. Okay. Okay, so both the Border Lester and the Blueface Lester are known as very good sires. Yeah. So their prolificacy is very, very high. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry, um, this, this, this uh, podcast does have adult content warning, so we can say they fuck like crazy. Well, no, they produce, <laughs> reproduce. They reproduce. <laughs> they reproduce like crazy. Yes, yes. So... <laughs> Um, there's some of the breeds that are used in developing, um, mules and massums. So in, in some of those standard crosses. Yeah. So anyway, the Blueface Lester was a selection from the group of Border Lesters. Okay. And has become its own breed. Okay. Okay. But, but it came out of that, that lineage. So all the Lesters are related to each other. Yeah. Um, separated by history and geography. Makes sense. And they go in that order. Lester Longwool, Border Lester, Border Blueface Lester, Lester. Then Blueface Correct. Lester. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Blueface Lester is 
of the Lesters the shortest and finest and crimpiest of the wools. Yep. It is still a, a luster, a British luster long wool. It is still in that class of 11 breeds that we call the British luster long wools. Okay. But it has a very different feel from all of the others. Yeah. I mean, you have subgroups within that 11, but Blueface Luster is kind of its own world. Yeah. It is a good introduction to other breeds for people who have uh, been in the, the land of Merino forever. Yeah. It's a good step outside that world. I love Blueface Luster. It's one of my favorites. I do, too. <laughs> I do, too. I spin a lot of it. It's really easy to spin. Yes, if you have it as a prepared yes. top or some of the fleeces, the adult fleeces. Often you'll get a lamb yeah. fleece and its curls and its locks are so teeny oh, and spirally that it can be hard to put on even mini combs oh, and wow. not have the locks just pull through. I love it. Um, and it can be a little bit of a challenge to hand process. Yeah, that makes sense. Depending on the fleece. Yeah, when I've spun it, it's always it hasn't been from a fleece. It's been from you know prepared, prepared uh, roving or top or whatever. Right. It's usually going to be top. Yeah. Um. It's which means it's been combed and all the fibers are about or, the same length and they're right and they're parallel. evenly aligned. Like yes. Yeah. yeah. Not That's, all over the place. They're they're parallel rather than like a mass of fibers like a nest. Well, and one of the reasons that you see it in hand-dyed top a lot is because it has quite a bit of luster, which means it shows yes. the dyes really well. Yeah, it, it's, it reflects a lot of light. Yep. Yep. So it's, it's a favorite of uh, indie dyers. Yeah. You would be forgiven for thinking that there was a little bit of silk in the top. True. Because of the shine. If you, like, before you touch it, you know, it's, it's really shiny. Well, even the feel wool. is a bit silky. Yeah. So uh, it is out there and available, which is actually a credit to breeders in North America, because mm. I remember when that breed was introduced. When was that? Um, I'm thinking it was the early 80s. I'd have to look it up. But it okay. was uh, Linda Berry Walker was very, very involved in bringing the sheep into the U.S. from Canada. Yeah. And it's not that long ago. And we have huh. a lot of them now. And yeah. The wool is being very well marketed as an individual breed. I mean, they're brilliant. Yeah. Well, I think that it's a testament to the to the wool's qualities. It's a nice it's a nice stepping stone into breed specificity for people. Yes. Um. You know, it even in a commercially spun yarn, it's like glorious. I think it's I think it's a great great fiber. It is. Yep. And for people who who are looking for something a little different, uh, it's a great place to start. Yeah. Awesome. And they'll be able to find it. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty everywhere. I think it was the first breed specific fiber that I ever bought. Good place to start. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 easy spinning. It's easy knitting. It's like luscious. And uh, my cat Echo, uh, when I wash Blueface Lester, yeah, with a particular scent of soak, he will not leave it alone. <laughs> like and it's it doesn't work with the same scent of soak and another breed of wool like it's the blue face lester he he will be all on top of it like he i have to cover cover up my blocking with something else cuz he's uh -huh. like he'll roll all over it and rub his face on it and <laughs> there's something about the texture of blue face lester that he really loves interesting it's very strange it has lovely drape it does it has fantastic drape yeah it's uh, i have a number of shawls uh staple length is about what three and a half, four inches 
Generally. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. What's the crimp like? It is more open than one would expect if you're used to things like merino. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking well, and that's five, six to the inch. Yeah, because it's coming from, from a heritage of the long wools. Yeah. Which is a much more open crimp. Yeah, but, but it's nowhere. I mean, with yeah. the, it is a long wool. Oh, okay. It is a yeah. long wool. Yeah. So where's the distinction between short between not long wool and long wool happening? History and whether they grow enough to be shorn twice a year, which the the blue face lusters do. Oh, okay. So we're getting a, you know, three, four inch staple being shorn twice a year. Yes. So they're still pretty fast growing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, for comparison, like merinos are a slower growing, right? They get yes. shorn once a year and yes. have a staple length of like, you know, two, three inches. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's like double the growth rate of a yes. merino for yeah. a blue face lester. Yeah. That must be also like economical if you if you're raising a wool flock that you get two shearings a year out of these sheep. Yeah, you're working for it. Yeah, well they because they need to be fed a lot of protein, so there's also that. Yes, plus you're paying your shearer twice. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and you've got to get a good shearer and you've got to schedule them in twice. Well, thanks, Deb. You're welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes for pics of the North Ronald Say sheep that Neil and Sue raise and pics of the Blueface Lester sheep as well. Also, don't forget to enter the drawing for Big Dick. That's there in the show notes. Thanks again for your support. You can follow the podcast on social media via Facebook. Search for Yarn Stories Podcast with no space between yarn and stories. Twitter at Yarn Stories Pod or Instagram at Yarn Stories Podcast for updates and for pretty pictures. You can follow me as well in all my other endeavors at Miriam Felton Knit Designs on Facebook and on Twitter or Instagram at Mimnits. I'm going to have some big news shortly, so now would be a great time to follow and be the first to know what's coming. This podcast was produced in Salt Lake City, Utah, with production help from my lovely spouse, Sid Fallon. We've been married for almost 15 years. It'll be 15 years this month. Music is by the ever-elusive Breakmaster Cylinder. And I'll see you again in two weeks when I talk to Jean DeCoster of Elemental Effects Shetland. Hey, babe. Hi. What you doing in the closet? 